Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, They are on the streets of Manteca, California to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... The mind can play tricks on some people that can, without warning, make them dangerous. On March 3, 1962, a man was born who, though described as odd by those who knew him, in no way made them worry that a potential serial killer was in their midst. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Juan Covington was born on March 3, 1962, in Philadelphia. An identical twin, Juan's life was a normal one until his father tragically passed away and sent the young man into a deep depression that required medication. After a few years of treatment, Juan declared himself cured and stopped taking the meds. He, according to those who knew him, started exhibiting strange behavior and was seen by neighbors patrolling the area wearing military fatigues and looking for unseen dangers that he believed were lurking nearby. He began refusing to bathe or wash himself, and at Christmas time, 
was seen staring intently at the tree because he swore it was moving on its own. Despite these actions, Juan was seen as an upstanding citizen who worked as a bus driver for SEPTA for the last 18 years. He was a quiet man who, although easily offended, was seen as normal, kind, and unassuming. That was until August 19, 1998, when he picked up a Sig Sauer and shot 49-year-old Thomas Lee Devlin 13 times in his church on Old York Road. According to the reports, Juan believed the Reverend was using witchcraft to cast spells on him. But before the murder was connected to him, he attended the funeral and seemed genuinely upset about his death. He was not at any point considered a suspect, and instead, many thought the shooting was the result of a child custody dispute between Thomas Delvin and his ex-girlfriend. Though there is no record of such a dispute between Thomas and any of the mothers with whom he had children, the case failed to progress beyond this theory and remained unsolved for the next four years. After the shooting, things in Juan's life started to spin a little out of control. He was fired from his job in September of 2001, telling his son he fell asleep while driving and had a few altercations with co-workers, started working at a Home Depot in Upper Darby, but was fired again after he allegedly punched a customer in the face. Things got worse, and according to his son, he and his father would get off of buses and subways nowhere near their destination because Juan thought he was being followed. Despite all of this, Juan applied for a gun permit in 2001. A few years later, in 2003, Juan's brother James petitioned the family courts to get custody of his nephew. The boy was then moved in with his uncle, and the courts told Juan that if he wanted to see his son again, he needed to seek some counseling. That same year, on May 20th, Juan Covington was walking around the Logan area and happened upon 41-year-old David Stewart. For reasons unknown, he pulled out a 9mm pistol and shot the stranger. Paralyzed from the waist down, the man managed to survive the attack, and for the next year, Juan went on without another incident. However, on April 26, 2004, he attacked randomly again when he shot 32-year-old William Bryant Jr. nine times. He, too, survived his attack, though he was permanently disabled, and a social worker named Clyde A. Johnson was arrested and kept behind bars awaiting his trial until the crimes were finally connected to Juan Covington. On March 7, 2005, he shot and killed 36-year-old Odie's Boskett while the man was en route to pick up his daughter from a nursery. And once again, a man named Morris Wells was charged and kept in detention until the real killer was captured. Whether or not police and the community knew there was a dangerous murderer in their midst is unknown, but with Juan's final murder came exactly what police needed to finally put an end to his spree. Just 10 days after murdering Audie's Boskett, 48-year-old Patricia McDermott, a radiographer for the Pennsylvania Hospital, was found shot to death on Market Street by a passing driver. She had been shot with a 380 pistol, but for the life of them, police could not figure out what possible motive her murder could have had since all her money and personal items still seemed to be with her. So they went and searched the nearby CCTV footage and watched as Patricia exited the bus and was followed by an unknown man wearing a baseball cap 
a light jacket, and green pants. Stalking her down the block, the man suddenly pulled out a gun and shot the woman once in the head. Unable to discern any real details about the gunman's face, police went to the FBI and the NFL Films branch in hopes that they could help, but walked away with no viable leads. The next logical step was to release the footage to the public, and after combing through hundreds of tips, heard from an employee at the bus company who said that the video looked a lot like her former co-worker and subcontractor at the Pennsylvania hospital, Juan Covington. Checking the surveillance tapes at the hospital, they found that Juan, on the day of the murders, was wearing the same clothing as their mystery shooter. And with that, they had enough evidence to arrest him for Patricia's murder. Taken in for questioning, Juan quickly provided a written statement in which he took full responsibility for Patricia's murder and stated his belief that she was poisoning him with x-rays and causing severe headaches. He claimed he pulled the trigger that day because he knew no one would believe him if he told them. Then he surprised everyone by taking responsibility for crimes that they had no clue were all connected, saying he was the one who shot Reverend Thomas Lee Devlin, David Stewart, William Bryant Jr., and Audie's Boskett. The 43-year-old claimed each of his victims, in their own way, were threatening his existence and needed to be eliminated. When studied by psychiatric experts, they claimed that Juan was a rare breed of serial killer who began his slow descent into homicidal madness when his father died in the late 90s. A man who truly believed these people were greatly affecting his life, like putting curses on him, and did what he felt was necessary in order to survive. All the while seeming like a lovable oddball who was able to have relationships, father a son, hold a job, stay out of trouble, and legally purchase firearms. Though many saw some of his actions as strange, no one who knew him thought him capable of being a serial killer. Though he did not confess to them, Juan Covington is considered a suspect in at least two other crimes. The 1997 disappearance of Brenwanda Smith and the murder of 25-year-old Ann Yule in 2004. Brenwanda was a bus driver with SEPTA as well, and allegedly turned down Juan's romantic advances and disappeared after an argument on February 18th. She remains missing to this day. Anne was found shot to death on May 7th and was a hospital employee like Patricia McDermott. He was not tried for these crimes, but remains a suspect as far as I can tell. After the men previously arrested for the cases were released, Juan was brought to trial and, despite his confession, refused to plead guilty. Claiming he was the, quote, chosen one and that he killed three, quote, devils who were doing him harm, his lawyers attempted to have him found criminally insane in an effort to avoid the death penalty. In the end, Juan Covington changed his mind and pleaded guilty to his crimes. He was given three life terms plus two 20 to 40 year sentences for the attempted murders. He was ordered to undergo psychiatric counseling prior to being transferred to a correctional institution. And as far as the research tells, he remains there to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on March 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.